Welcome back to the program. Nietzsche said that that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Little did he know that those words had a powerful psychological basis. Every day it seems we hear about trauma, about people surviving horrible tragedy to themselves and to loved ones. And we all wonder how they go forward. We know, for example, that the incidence of divorce after the death of a child is well over 50%. That the trauma of war and combat can take years, if not decades, to come to grips with. We see the horrors of genocide, tragedies like 9-11, and we wonder how people cope and why, even in the face of such horror, some people thrive and come out stronger. Or, in the words of Hemingway, the world breaks everyone, and afterwards some are stronger in broken places. David Feldman is an associate professor of counseling psychology at Santa Clara University. He holds a Ph.D. in clinical psychology from the University of Kansas, and he's considered among the top experts on hope in the field of psychology. Lee Kravitz has a master's degree in counseling psychology and is a graduate of the University of Missouri School of Journalism. They're the co-authors of Super Survivors, the surprising link between suffering and success. David Feldman. Lee Kravitz, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Great to have you here. Dave, start with you. Define what super survivors are. What do you mean by that in the context of this story? Sure. Well, I love the way that you started um, the introduction, and I love Hemingway's quote. What What a beautiful quote. It is absolutely the case that trauma leaves many, many people uh, suffering and feeling very broken. Um, we're all familiar with PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder, the nightmares, the flashbacks. Um, and this is a very serious uh, mental health condition that can happen after trauma that deserves serious counseling and serious conversation. Thank heavens, uh, as people are coming back from war zones in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, that there is, uh, for once, a little more treatment available for them. But what people don't know uh, usually, is that only about 25% of people who have had a trauma end up with PTSD. Um, here's another statistic for you. 80% of people, according to really good research, um, actually grow in some way as a result of that trauma. That may be simply seeing the sky is bluer and the grass is greener. It could be realizing goals and realizing values that you didn't know that you had. It could be realizing who are your friends and who aren't your friends uh, and keeping your friends closer to you. It could be growing in terms of your faith uh, or deepening in your relationship to God or the divine. And in some cases, it's really dramatic changes. Um, moving jobs, moving across the country or the planet, founding NGOs, helping tens of thousands of other people who have been in situations like you. It's these dramatic cases of bouncing forward after trauma that we call super survival. And in, we had the privilege of talking to uh, like a hundred different super survivors in writing this book and, and getting their stories. And what do we understand, Lee, about resiliency and why some people are so much more resilient than others? Well, you know, I don't know if it's really that some are more resilient than others. I mean, I, I want to fall back on that statistic that Dave just talked about, that, you know, 80% of us, um, you know, uh, will bounce forward. We all have this, this sense of resilience kind of built in and it's a little known it's really it, it's really wonderful um the um you know there's a lot of qualities that kind of map to um this resilience and we try to kind of distill those in the book 
Um, and, you know, I think the, the one that, that people keep on kind of falling to is, um, you know, something called the power of positive thinking. I mean, most of us feel that uh, positive thinking is really important. Um, you know, uh, you need to be a positive thinker in order to, to bounce forward. But the reality is uh, we found that it's actually something completely different. Yeah, so one of the things that we were surprised about uh, when we asked our, when we went both to the research and started reading what um, science in the field is showing, but also talking to our super survivors about what helped them, is that every one of them told us what was not helpful to them. <laughs> and one of those things was positive thinking. Many of them said, look, in the aftermath of my trauma, lots of people told me to try to think positively. But you know what? I didn't feel positive. And trying to tell myself everything will be fine, everything is fine, look on the bright side, smile and be happy, just felt like I was lying to myself. That's what we kept hearing over and over and over again. And instead what we found out is what helped them was realistic thinking, was realistically grounding themselves in the reality of what had happened. So we heard people say things like, you know what, I just got into a car accident and I lost a leg and I'm not getting it back. You know what, I'm 25 years old, and I've lost my vision, and I'm not getting it back, and I've also lost my career uh, in the Navy. That was one person that we spoke to. And they bravely admitted to themselves what they could not change about them situa- their situation in a realistic way, but they didn't stop there. They also looked forward in their life and said, grounded in the realities of my situation, which are terrible, how can I build a better life on top of this? And they began to marshal their personal strengths to put one foot in front of the other and walk towards a better future. We actually call that combination of realistic and forward-focused thinking grounded hope. And it's, it's, it's the one really big commonality that we saw over and over and over again with our super survivors. The other thing that you talk about that comes up repeatedly, Dave, is this sense of support systems, real support systems that people have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know it's, it's cliche. We all know that in the aftermath of, of trauma, in the aftermath of loss, in the aftermath of setbacks and failures, what we really need is people around us who love and support us. But there's a second thing that we discovered uh, as we looked into the research and talked to the super survivors. And, and this may sound obvious, but so few people do it. We need to be open to that support to that love, to that caring. You know, I I have worked with, and so has Lee, with with patients and clients for quite a long time. And what you often see is that people find themselves surrounded by people who are saying, I love you and I want to care for you. But at those times of trauma and tragedy, people tend to shut down. People tend to shut themselves off from the world and to think no one could ever understand what I'm going through. So what's so important is opening up your, your perception, uh, opening up yourself to the fact that there are people who love and care for you. That openness is what predicts bouncing back from trauma, but also bouncing forward and, and becoming super survivors or practicing post-traumatic growth, uh, or whatever you'd like to call it. Is there, Lee, either a timeline or a set of events that happen post-traumatically that are consistent 
with some of these super survivors? You know, we talk about seven stages of grief or, or, or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Are there specific stages that these super survivors go through in order to come out stronger on the other side? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's actually one we haven't really gotten a lot of. And the, the truth is, we haven't found that. I mean, we have super survivors who bounce back within the first couple of weeks and months. You know, we had, uh, um, you know, uh, a, a man who lost his leg um, in, a, in a horrible car accident. And Casey within, Perini. yeah, Casey Perini, he was, you know, within nine months was uh, running marathons or inline skating across the country, I mean, you know, on, on one foot, and it was pretty remarkable. But then you have people like um, Dr. Jim Cameron, who was uh, a young man in the 20s, um, uh, I'm sorry, the 30s, who was um, one of the last, last lynching survivors um, in the United States. And it took him decades and decades to kind of move past that. And when he did, he became a, um, a very, very prominent civil rights leader. So it can take years, it could take months, um, it could take decades, um, and that's kind of the beautiful part of super survival. There is no timeline. Yeah, I think when we try to give people timelines, um, often, pe- often what I have found is that people um, can use that to sort of beat themselves up and say, well, I'm not doing it right. You know, the timeline says I should be in stage three, and I'm only in stage two. Or the timeline says I should be in stage three, and I'm in stage five. Oh, my gosh, I'm going too fast. We didn't find a set of stages. What we did find are some of these things that we're talking about, taking a realistic, groundedly hopeful viewpoint, that opening yourself up to the support of others, um, that actually honestly honestly confronting what the trauma has to teach you, that, that there's research, for instance, that shows that when people open themselves up to con- sort of confronting death and realizing that, you know what, I'm not going to live forever, this trauma teaches me about my own vulnerability, that that sort of kicks people into asking themselves what's truly important to me uh, and living accordingly. So there are some principles. Forgiveness is another one that we talk a lot about in the book that help people to bounce forward, but there doesn't seem to be a rigid timeline. What role, if any, does faith play in all of this? It's an interesting question. Um, so uh, the faith chapter was a hard one to write. I, my experience tells me that in our sort of polarized world that we live in in the U.S. right now, that you've got people uh, on one side that sort of strongly argue that spirituality, faith, religion is, is a great thing, everybody needs it, everybody needs to have it, and then you've got really skeptical people on the other side that say it's bad, that faith is, is a horrible, irrational thing, and we should all get rid of it. And what we found is, I think not surprisingly and less romantically, faith can be good and it can be bad. It's somewhere in the middle. There's an incredible diversity of viewpoints among religious people, and it turns out there are such a thing as toxic faiths. But there are also, there's also such a thing as faith that, that helps one to bounce forward after trauma. And so actually the, the story of, of James Cameron that Lee was just talking about demonstrates faith. Here's a kid in the 30s who was um, almost lynched by a lynch mob, and at the last minute was let down from, I believe, the tree where they were going to, right. to lynch him. Uh, and, and flash forward 
to the 1960s, he's a major civil rights leader, and he credits this all to faith. Specifically, he credits this to, to the belief that God spared his life because God had a plan for him. And so his whole life was about searching for what is God's plan for me? What is the next goal that I can set in my life that if I achieve it, it will make the world a better place? And that's how he ended up being um, uh, recognized by Congress for his efforts fighting racism. And, and Lee, are there other cultural markers that you see in those that, that are resilient enough to become these super survivors? Let, let me actually take uh, that one. Yeah, I'm going to have um, you jump in there. So, so there are certain things. One of the places that people want to go a lot when they, when they talk with us about super survivors, uh, about our book, is, is there anything sort of innate in people's childhood, in people's genes, in people's culture that helps them to be super survivors? There are certainly some things about us that just are sort of part of us that aren't changeable that tend to predict post-traumatic growth. One of them is being an extrovert. Who knows why, but extroverts are a little bit more likely to grow after trauma. Um, another one is having high self-esteem. So if you have high self-esteem going into the trauma, you're more likely to grow. But the truth is, is that most of the things that we found that help people to grow, that predict growth after trauma, are things we can nurture in ourselves, like the habit, I suppose you could call it, of being forgiving. Um, that's not something that necessarily comes from a cultural background or comes from one's genes. But what we found is uh, that people who are more forgiving tend to grow more. It makes me think of, of a particular story, Clementine Weimaraya, mm -hmm. who was a little girl uh, born in, uh, in Rwanda at, right as the genocide was happening 25 years ago. She saw her family, most of her family, killed in front of her and then bounced from refugee camp to refugee camp, horrible places to be, full of disease and, and crime and violence, and then eventually made it back to the United States, or made it, not back, made it to the United States, was sponsored to come to the United States. And I'll let Lee finish the story, because he really got to know her well. Lee? Uh, thanks, David. Yeah, I mean, she was amazing. She wound up... Um, uh, being appointed uh, by Obama to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum Council with her hero, Elie Wiesel, uh, speaks in front of the UN, works with Oprah Winfrey at the Oprah Winfrey Academy, Leadership Academy for Girls, went on to do some really, truly remarkable things and continues to do it today. Um, and I think she's barely 25 at this point. Um, and she uh, attributes this all to her ability to actually forgive. But she says specifically, it, it's not just forgiveness, you know, as we typically think about it, it's a very specific kind of forgiveness. It's the um, ability to give up on the hope that the past could be different. And for her, she was able to take that kernel of truth and bounce forward with it and do remarkable things for the world. Do we learn anything about the super survivors by looking at those people, David, that are not, those that really fall apart in the face of trauma. Does that tell us something about the other side of this? So, um, as we started this, this interview with, um, you know, there is this statistic that about 25% or so, give or take, depending on the kind of trauma, uh, of people end up with post-traumatic stress disorder. 
and um, and terrible nightmares and flashbacks and anxiety, and it can really it can ruin people's lives. And the good news is that there are really good treatments for 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 PTSD now. Uh, specific cognitive behavior therapies, EMDR, and others can can help people who have had chronic PTSD for years um, to pull themselves out of that and get back to their lives again. The interesting thing is it shows that the research shows us that post-traumatic growth or super survival and mental health difficulties like PTSD are not opposites. They're two sides of the same coin. So the interesting thing is people who often experience the worst symptoms, the worst anxiety, are the people who also grow the most. That, to me, gives me a lot of hope, and that is that even in the midst of our suffering, we can grow, we can discover new things, we can deepen ourselves and widen ourselves. That doesn't mean you have to, to suffer in order to grow, but it means that it doesn't preclude you from growing. And I tell that a lot to people who are suffering with PTSD. Um, and, and it turns out that they will look right at me right back in the face and will say, you know what, I have grown. And here's what I've discovered about myself and about what I want from my life uh, in this process of suffering. That's why we called the subtitle of the book The Surprising Link Between Suffering and Success, because I think often you can't skip that suffering part. Speaking of the suffering, what role, if any, does medication and medical treatment play in the processes that you're talking about? Um, You know, we don't really get into that uh, in the book. Um, so, you know, it certainly is the case that there are very good medications, mostly antidepressants, uh, for treating post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, and that people generally find those very helpful. I don't think there is any causal connection, as far as we know, between taking or not taking medication and ending up being a a super survivor. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, there is some research that just came out from Stanford University um, that shows that there is, however, some uh, biological effect of, of finding growth in the aftermath of trauma. They did a study where they got together a lot of women who had metastatic breast cancer, really serious breast cancer. And what they found was the women who grew in, you know, in the midst of this tragedy tended to have better endocrine functioning, hormonal functioning, and in a a particular way that we know tends to influence survival. So it appears that uh, post-traumatic growth and super-survival have real biological impacts on the body. It's interesting looking at the totality of this that, you know, when you look at people that are heroic, people that are, and, and even fictional superheroes, there's always an origin story that generally does involve some kind of suffering. Oh, yeah, we talk about that a little right. bit in the book, too. I mean, you know, without naming names so much, because, you know, copyright infringement and whatnot, but you do have, you know, Batman, who started out as, you know, a kid who watched his parents die right in front of him, and you have the Incredible Hulk, who's blasted by, you know, uh, radiation, and then winds up uh, becoming a superhero, super strength. And I think that, you know, the, the thing that we found, the analogy we found, was that what if this is closer to reality than we really thought? Um, that, you know, with a statistic like 80% of us will grow from trauma, there's something to that. But on the flip side, 
you know, what we also found was that you don't need to have a trauma to use these principles. I mean, one of the things we were kind of blown away by when the book came out was how the business community really kind of latched onto the book because um, there's a lot of principles within the book that actually work really, really well for businesses, you know, um, you know, realistic thinking and, you know, positive illusions of control, um, how social support works, all of these things kind of, um, these are things you can uh, pick up, you can learn, and you don't need to have a traumatic brain injury, for instance, to kind of to grow from these things. But a lot of cases, the ones we, we, we particularly focus on in the book are people who were kind of going about their lives um, fairly happy, at least they thought they were, and they had a moment uh, uh, that kind of shook them awake, um, a near-death experience most of the time. And it was that awareness of how short life was, how precious life was, how quickly um, everything could fall away that kind of wakes them up from their uh, stupor, their haze, and they say, you know what, I'm going to do something that's really meaningful um, now and moving forward. David, is there a downside to this among people that don't have this resiliency that can't seem to bounce back as effectively and looking at people that are so effective at it? Um, I I worried about that a lot uh, when we wrote the book. And so we tried to say a lot in, in Super Survivors that this, there's no value judgment here. Uh, it's not that people who grow are better uh, than people who are, not, who are not. Look, simply surviving a trauma, simply getting through uh, one of the worst possible things that any of us can imagine, natural disasters, uh, victimization, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, w- uh, wartime trauma, these, these are the worst things anyone can imagine, and simply living through it, I think, is pretty super. Um, what we wanted to figure out is by talking with people who did dramatic things and experienced dramatic success, so by, by sort of getting to know the extreme cases, could we discover something that all of us, whether or not we've had a trauma, can learn about how to live? And I think we did discover that. Some of the principles that we've been talking about, a sort of roadmap for living a more successful, happier life, because we all suffer traumas and setbacks. We all suffer losses. And, and many of us also suffer traumas in our lives. Uh, I don't think that we should make it a goal uh, in any way uh, to suffer a trauma so we can be dramatically successful. Uh, the cases that we talk about in the book are rarities, that's for sure. But we do know uh, that we all have the capability to grow. So what I would tell people who are having difficulty after trauma is don't rush it. Be honest with yourself. Get a good confidant, someone that you love who can support you, or get a therapist who you trust who can support you. And don't give up hope that a better future is possible for you. There's nothing else that we learn from the, these cases of dramatic change in people's lives, in super survivors' lives, it's that. David Feldman, Lee Daniel Kravitz, they're the authors of Super Survivors, The Surprising Link Between Suffering and Success. David, Lee, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 